Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. We're continuing with voice actors this week, as well as Digimon themed voice actors. I have Brian Beacock with me, who was in Digimon, as well as Atch Bell, Bleach, Naruto, Durara, and countless other animes. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right into this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. You've been acting professionally since 1995. When did you first discover acting? Gosh, I think it might even have been earlier than that. You know, I did a lot of stuff in elementary school and high school. Actually, in high school, I did a lot of background work in movies and stuff like that. And I actually got a screen test with ABC. And I must have been, what, a sophomore in high school. And it was for a new TV show called Maserati and the Brain. The role actually ended up going to Peter Billingsley, who's in Christmas Story. So Christmas Story has always been a rough movie for me to watch because I'm like, hey, you took my job. So I had a year-long contract. ABC, just like a holding contract. And that's kind of when it started. And then a lot of theater. I was playing piano when I was seven, playing drums. So kind of my whole life I was doing it. And when did you discover voice acting? The first voice acting thing I ever did was for a Nickelodeon feature film. I think it actually went straight to DVD called Globe Hunters. And I played Trevor the Parrot, who was raised in captivity doing nothing but watching television. So I had to do all these imitations of celebrities and stuff. And that was around 1989 or 91 or something like that. But that was the first thing I did. And then Digimon actually was the first thing that I ever did. I was doing a play in L.A called Fully Committed. It was a one-man show and I had to play like 38 different characters. And the director of Digimon at that time, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who I knew from working at Universal Studios, we did the Beetlejuice show together. And she was casting the role of Takato for season three. And she said, you know, I saw your show and you're doing all these voices, blah, blah, blah. I think you might be right for this. Why don't you come in and audition? So I came in and read for it and kind of didn't really know what I was doing. It was kind of a brand new world to me. But I ended up booking it literally from Digimon. The connections I made and the people I met and all that stuff, that's pretty much propelled my career up until now. So it was a great experience and a really fortuitous one, I guess. Now, prior to Digimon, were you watching animation or were you a fan of animation or anime? You know, I was always a fan of animation, but I wasn't really on the anime train. In fact, I was kind of ignorant to it. The only anime that I knew, me growing up, was Speed Racer and stuff like that. But around the time of Digimon, which I guess would be 1999, I wasn't really watching it. I was just watching regular animation and stuff so it was really new to me but then as I was doing Digimon I started watching all the other stuff but season three of Digimon was really cool because it was really about the relationships and the acting and it was great music and it wasn't just all the typical fight 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 episode so I kind of came into the world of anime with a really really well written season and that was pretty lucky and now going into the audition and getting casted (laughs) for the main character in season three Did you watch the prior seasons of Digimon to get an idea of what the show would be about? It happened while I was doing this play. I was doing Fully Committed down in Laguna Beach, and I was doing, you know, eight shows a week, and my voice was trashed. It was just like a really, really hard schedule to be on. And then I got the audition for Digimon, and it must have been, I don't know, two days before the audition. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to investigate. And aside from that, it was going to be a whole new season with new characters and stuff. So... I may have done some YouTube stuff, but I was mainly just concerned with when I got in the room and I had the script in front of me and Mary explained the character, who he was and all that stuff. 
I was more concerned with just making sure that I got the script down than being concerned about what it was before. Obviously, it worked for me, but I usually do like to investigate a little bit, especially like when I'm on this TV or whatever. It's good to know what you're going into, but I just didn't have the time. And now, how did you get into the character of Takato? Well, Mary Elizabeth, she's such a good director. And it also helped that we knew each other. So we had kind of like a dialogue shorthand and we had similar sense of humor and all that stuff. So we discovered him together along the way. And Takato was this young, impressionable, I don't want to say naive, but the kind of guy that the world kind of happened to and stuff like that. And throughout the course of the series, you know, he gets stronger and, and tougher and more worldly and experienced and stuff. And it's definitely the kind of guy that I was growing up, kind of nerdy and kind of a misfit. So it wasn't that difficult to see the world from his point of view. My task, really being new to voice acting, was how to convey all that with just your voice because I was used to acting in front of the camera or on stage or whatever. So that was all brand new to me. You're restricted. You've got the mouth flaps that you need to match for the existing Japanese animation. So you've got that restriction and then you've got the other restriction of only being able to use your voice. So I was more concerned about that and I just let Mary direct me. You know, if I got it wrong, then we redid it. You know, I really let her be the driver. Obviously, you just mentioned a little bit about guidance. When you were voicing, did you do what you thought the voice should be? And then if it wasn't right, you redid it? Or was there instructions on how lines should be said? How exactly did your time in the booth go with this character? Directors are really different. And Mary's really good. She's one of the best voice directors I've worked with before. She's amazing. She'll just kind of like let you do it. And then if she has any notes, instead of saying, no, do it like this. I mean, she never does that. She'll say, try it where he's a little bit more sad or try it where he's discovering this and then he changes his mind. Like she gives you these clues that basically funnel you into the performance. Like she puts up these walls of like, well, if it's this and it's that, then it's got to be this. So it's really smart and it's really clever how she does it and she does it really quickly. So typically I would just say the line and do it. And if it worked, she discovered something in my performance that she hadn't thought of. And if that didn't work and she wanted something else, then she would just give me some instruction. It was really great working with her. And now at the time of recording, did you know how popular Digimon was and in particular the third season? I had no idea. And it's really funny. I'm going out to Omni Expo in Florida and the person who's in charge of a huge fan of Digimon, I have no idea how old they are or whatever, but like a huge fan and they were so excited to have me come out. And that's the coolest thing that happens quite a bit. Like if I'll do a Comic-Con in London or Australia or whatever. You see these people that basically grew up with Digimon. They were either very, very young or they were in their teenage years. And it's just kind of cool. They're like, you know, I'd come home from school every day and, and watch the show. And so it's really neat how important it was to a lot of people. And, and I love to tell them that it's just as important to me because, like I said, it was kind of the show that made my voiceover career take off. So it was cool. But it was kind of a surprise to see what a big deal it was, all the toys and everything. And now Takato's voice is unique. How did you go about mastering his voice? However, I could make myself sound like a young kid. That's kind of where we started, obviously. And then Mary would say, okay, you know, make it a little bit more scratchy, a little less scratchy, a little more pinched, a little more open, whatever. So that's kind of where we went. It was a cool thing because you had kind of like master the right age. And then when you put the effects on it, and I don't mean like digital effects, but my own personal, like whatever touches, if you make it scratchier, that adds nuances that either give you like a bit of nerdy quality or naive quality to Takata. And now besides Takato, you also voiced other characters, including Bakomon and the many different Greymons. How did those castings 
come about? Well, that's the cool thing. I think Pokemon from season four, I believe it was. I'm sure I went in and read for it, but it was the same studio that did season three. Emailed me or called me or whatever and said, hey, we want you to come in, read for this part. So it's not like they gave me the part, but certainly knowing that I did season three and knowing who the people were and all that stuff, it gave me a leg up. And these same people that I did Digimon with are the same people that I've done Sailor Moon, Naruto, Bleach, Gormiti, 10K Night. I've worked with all these people on these other shows. And that's when it really helps. Show up on time, do a good job, be a good guy. And then, of course, do a good job and you keep working. They've been really good to me over at that studio. Now, this is a perfect segue into Naruto. How did you discover that show? Well, again, they called me in to read for it, and Naruto is huge. And I think it was already huge when I was doing it. Same thing with Bleach. And yet I still didn't really know that much about it. I was still doing my singing and dancing at Universal and doing TV. So that was kind of fun. And, you know, those roles are so strange. Sakon and Ukon and Yumichika. It was fun because they're so different from Takato that it was nice to, like, be a bad guy or be, like, a snot, kind of like a nose-in-the-air snob who was also tough like Yumichika. So that was kind of cool. That's when I realized, oh, this is kind of a neat thing. I don't always have to play the 11-year-old kid. And then I started doing video games and playing like generic fighter pilots, cyborgs and things like that. And those are kind of cool. And what were the challenges about playing Sakon and Yukon as they have similar voices, but have to be (laughs) different? Yes, those voices. Some people can do that kind of voice and go away from the session unscathed. But for me, those voices were really pushing the way I normally talk. So after a a session like that, I was dead for at least a day and a half. Couldn't do another session. I think one time I even really, really lost my voice and couldn't talk. So that was interesting. You know, I think it's Ukon, I think, that has the worst voice, right? He's the one on the back. So we would do all of Sakon's first because we knew it was going to be scratchy and pushed and all that stuff, but not as bad as his brother or his twin. So then we would record all that at the back end because my voice was trashed. They're like, hey, that's perfect. But yeah, those were really tough. And honestly, it was also tough because sometimes they'd spot it. Spotting is when they go through with the script and they say, oh, that's when Takato's talking or this is when Yumichika's talking. And that's how they figure out the script with all the time codes and stuff. And sometimes they would be confused based on the animation, which character it was that was talking. So I would just record both people saying it and then they would figure it out later. But they didn't want to miss it in case it was sack on and it needed to be on or whatever. And what was your interaction with the voice director and director while working on Naruto? Pretty much the same as Digimon and the same as Bleach. It's an interesting thing. But there are, at times, in certain studios, you would have a regular director of a show. Sometimes they get called to another show, so you'd have a new director. Because Bleach and Naruto went on for so long, the directors were not consistent. And sometimes people get sick, or people are on vacation, so they have subs that come in, or whatever. It happens a lot. So it's interesting. I would do especially Sakon, very infrequently. So I would do it and then come back like eight months later and say it's with a new director. So we would have to pull up samples to hear what I sounded like. So they knew how to direct me because they didn't know what the character sounded like. So that happens a lot. You know, you pull up references of your characters. If it's been a year since you've done it, it's not a recurring role, etc. So it's always different. It's kind of a cool thing. I've worked with brand new directors that I didn't even know on a show before that I've been doing for years and it was their first week. And it happens on TV all the time. Shows like Grey's Anatomy. There's a new director every week. So here's these characters that have been doing the TV show for five, eight years and every week they have a brand new person coming in who has to direct these people in such a way to maintain the integrity of their characters and their storyline. It's a weird world, but I guess that's the way it's done. 
And now after your role in all your characters on Naruto, you were in Zatch Bell. That's funny. That was a long time ago. You came into that show through the video game. Yeah, is that right? Wow. Yeah. How'd you get casted for the video game? And then how did that lead to you being in the anime? Oh, was that Bianco? Yes. Bianco the Frog, right? Yes. Oh my God, so funny. So that was directed by Jeff Nimoy. And that's the first time I worked with Jeff Nimoy. And I think he did Digimon when I was Agumon, I think. He's great. And in fact, I'm working with him on another project right now. But that happens quite a bit, actually. It's really cool. You come in, you do a video game, you do a character. And sometimes that character is introduced in the video game with an existing anime series that started. And then like in that next season, they bring in that character. I don't know what the situation with Zatch Bell was. Was Zatch Bell a video game first and had no series or did it already have a series i think it had a series but bianco didn't appear yet gotcha so then that's what happened they brought bianco into the game and they're like here's this weird frog so for me and that was back in the day when i was brand new to me i wasn't working a lot it was maybe digimon blah 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 so i was like this is so cool i book a video game and now i've got a tv series but if I'm not mistaken, and this is, like I said, a long time ago, didn't Bianco die by a firework being shot into his face and he exploded or something? Yeah, something like that. So it was quite a day. So I'm at work, I'm doing the show, and then whatever happened, I don't know how it shoots up into his face, and then I remember Jeff Nimoy going, and that's the end of Bianco. And that's it, and you're done. Oh, okay, well, this is anime, so maybe my character can rise from the dead, or rise from the lily pad. But that was really funny. That was the first time I just saw my character, 86. How'd you feel when you saw your character die? <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's twofold. You're like, okay, this job is fun. I love coming in. I love the character. And then you're also like, oh my God, like, what about my money? How am I going to pay my rent? But by then, like I said, I already knew these people and they were calling me in for a lot of stuff. I think we were recording over at Saban, the company that did Power Rangers or does Power Rangers over on Wilshire Boulevard in Hollywood. And it's all coming back to me now where we recorded and I was there a lot. I did a lot of one-off video games and come in and do a character for a series just for one day and stuff. It was a fun time. And now another one of your big roles was Yamato Delgado from... Battle Beatamon. Yeah. Big one. And I'm telling you, this is the weird thing. So that show took me to New Zealand because the show was so popular in New Zealand that the creators or the organizers of Armageddon Expo in New Zealand called me or emailed me and they flew me out there to be on a TV show and to sign autographs and stuff like that because of that show. And I kind of think in America, people were take or leave it. But in New Zealand, they were going bonkers for it. So I was like, this is great. I'll go to New Zealand. It was a fun little character. It was a little silly, but it was fun. I actually still have the toys in my closet. I'm just waiting until they're worth a lot of money so I can sell them on eBay. I have all the toys, by the way. I've got so much Digimon stuff. It's crazy. I've got Digimon and I've got 10K Night stuff and Naruto. And So how do you feel that Yamato's character was similar Takedo's character. They were a similar age, similar lone wolf, dealing with all these issues, essentially on their own. Parents really weren't around. The mom was around for Yamato, but still, he pretty much goes on adventures and he's gone for months. But they were kind of similar in that respect. But I would say that Takato's was definitely more mature. And the show was more mature. It was a little bit more maturely written and not so completely crazy. But Yamato got to do some crazy stunts and screaming and weird battles and stuff. But, but that was pretty fun. 
He was cool. Now let's talk about another one of your big roles, which was on Bleach as Yumachika. Yumachika Ayasagawa. He's a piece of work. He was great. Another one that people really liked. And in Canada, in Edmonton last year, and a couple people came dressed as Yumachika, which I thought was really cool. Oh, and someone came to sack on as well, which was neat. But he was really fun. Such a snob. And he's such a snot. And he's like, I can't look at you if you're not beautiful and all that stuff. But then he's a great fighter, too. So he's kind of like this fop, very slimy and all that stuff. And then he's got that sword and he can just slice in, too. He was really fun. And a lot of video games done with him, obviously. He was in all the games. And I can't remember how he ended or if he did end. I can't remember. I think he just kind of disappeared and I wasn't really in the show that much towards the end. Now, this character went through a lot as many characters in Bleach went through with all the events that happened. Do you feel that your voice changed with him? Yeah, for sure. Because in the beginning, he was kind of introduced with really like the comic relief and the snide one-off comment and really funny and stuff. But then things got serious. Fighting got serious. The stakes got serious. And sometimes you couldn't always put that kind of wry, dry, sarcastic humor on the dialogue because it just didn't call for it. It wasn't written that way. And so in that respect, I would say definitely that either he changed or just he was written differently or, or the show circumstances changed towards the end. I think he remained the same, but the way he was portrayed had to reflect what was going on in the story. And now you mentioned something about you being in a lot of video games with him. A few anime video games choose to cast different people than the anime voice actors. Yeah. How do you feel when an anime and a video game choose the same voice actor? Do you feel like it bridges a gap between the two? I think it's really smart. I think if you're trying to sell a video game to your fans that watch the show, then they expect to hear the same voice. Now, it doesn't always work that way, and I'll give you an example, but it's either financial, circumstantial, schedule, or just producer and writer preference with that change. So I did three, maybe four video games of Monokuma in Danganronpa. It's a crazy video game. And now a series. Well, the people that did the video game, they're producers out here in LA. And the game is being produced, I think, in Texas. So there is someone else playing my role for the TV series. And I've read a lot of message boards about people that were unhappy about it. Who knows? I've replaced people before. And so me getting replaced, you have to take it with a grain of salt that happened. So that went from a game to a series. Who knows if it's different going from a series to a game, whether or not they should do it. I think it should be consistent. If it were me, I would want it to be consistent. And now you had many episodes and many moments on Bleach. Do you have a particular favorite time or arc of Bleach that you were a part of? I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I can tell you that to me, I was more interested with Yumichika when he was funny. It's fine, do the serious stuff and the fighting and the higher stakes and all that stuff. But the kind of humor that he portrayed was really my cup of tea. It was my sense of humor. Very dry and very snide and very cutting. And so I think I just enjoyed playing him more when he had those kinds of colors. The other was just a little bit too straightforward for me. But he was the same character and that was kind of cool. I did like the fact that he didn't have to be one-dimensional. That was the cool thing about him. He wasn't one-dimensional and you couldn't really put a label on him because then he would turn around and surprise you. And that was cool. And a few questions back, you mentioned about replacing people in voice acting. What are the challenges about replacing somebody? Fan message boards. I replaced someone in Tales of Symphonia. It was a video game. And I didn't know that the video game existed. In fact, most of the time when you come into a video game, they're so secretive that they don't tell you what you're recording. So unless it's a video game that exists and has existed in several other 
incarnations and you're aware of them, you won't know what you're reading for. So I came in and I did either two or three of this existing game that I hadn't played, obviously, and the fans didn't like what I did. And some did and some didn't. But to me, I was just going to work three days work over a how many year period. And I didn't know any different. And the fans were not too happy about it. Actually, I was back in 2008. So your challenges are really just to do a good job for the director. That's all. If you don't know anything about what the character sounds like or anything, it's really none of your business. Your only job is to listen to the director and make them happy. And when they say it's good, it's good. And now to talk about another anime role that you had, you were... Rivel. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Rivel. Yeah, he was really cool. I would say he was older. He was still a geek. I play a lot of geeks. But he got to hang with the cool kids. And that was a fun show. I recorded that at a place called Magnitude 8, North, North, North Valley area of Los Angeles. Took a while to get to the studio. But he was really fun. He was cool. I can't remember how many seasons we did of that show. But the clothes were cool. The world was cool. Like that prep school that they went to and stuff. It was really neat. And obviously Code Geass is way more of an adult anime than a child anime. How did you feel about being in an adult-themed anime versus a child-themed anime? I thought it was fun. I'm obviously seeing it a lot more because right now I'm doing the Rawa Ra, which goes to Crunchyroll, and then I'm doing a couple other things that go directly to Netflix. So that's kind of fun. It's cool. You feel like you're working more like on a regular TV show and not just a kid's show. The stories tend to be a little bit more serious and a little bit more real. The language obviously can be a little more adult, which is fine. But the storylines tend to be a little bit more serious and stuff and the stakes higher. So I like that. I think that's really cool. I love a lot of these animes. The music is really, really hip and stories are dark and the animation's good. It's a departure from how I entered the anime world with Digimon. So it's nice to kind of do different stuff. And now with Do Ra Ra, what are the challenges of recording considering that the show is very circular as well as episodes intersect with one another? Yeah, it's interesting. And half the time, I don't know what's going on. And the other problem, we as voiceover actors, it's impossible to watch everything that we are in. And when we go to conventions and stuff, it's hard to know the storylines. We certainly don't know them as much as the fans of the show. Maybe some people do, but I don't. As we're recording, the only way that you know the story is what the director is telling you you're just recording your scene. So you don't get to see everything else. So they'll say, okay, Brian, at this point, Walker's done this, and this person did that, and this person did that, and it's, and it's going so fast. And then you record. And then they cut, they scroll down 10, 15 pages. And they're like, okay, so this person just died, and this person did that. It's really, really crazy. So again, you are completely relying on what the director's telling you, what the lines are in front of you on the page, and then you're watching the scene as you record it. It kind of all falls into the hands of the director to make, number one, all the dialogue match so it feels conversational and the intent and the performance of the actor match what's going on in the story. So I think really the most difficult job in all of this is probably the director. And how do you feel that works like Code Geass and Do Ra have been received at conventions when people see you versus your Digimon stuff and your Bleach and your Naruto works? It's funny, it's different ages. I have older people obviously for Digimon because it was longer ago. Do Ra they're just a little bit more crazy. And I mean crazy in a good way. Like really fun, crazy out there. Everybody's different. But I have seen a lot more people dressing up in the clothes from Kokias, which is really cool. I mean, I've seen some really good costumes for that. No one's dressing up as Takata. I mean, I guess they could wear yellow goggles, but that's it. I feel like Dorabara is still kind of the underground show. I don't get a lot of people talking about it when I'm at conventions, which is weird. 
they still tend to talk about the obvious ones, the big ones, the Bleach, the Naruto, the Digimon, and stuff like that. And now you also have voice act in many video games, including Soul Calibur, Tales of Symphonia, and Word. How do you get booked for video game jobs and gigs? Sometimes it's the same producers or the same recording house that's doing the video game. And lately, I've been really lucky. I've just had people call me or email me because this director knows that director. And they call them up and they go, hey, we're doing a show. We're doing a video game. I need someone who sounds like this. In fact, I was doing a video game a couple weeks ago with a director named Michael Sorich, who actually played one of the characters with me in the fourth season of Digimon. He was Bokomon's sidekick. I can't remember who that was, but that was played by Michael. So I'm sitting in the booth and I'm recording with Michael a video game and someone calls him up. It's a director and he goes, hey, I need someone to do some voice stuff tomorrow. Should be this age, blah, blah, blah. So Michael gets on the speaker and he goes, hey, Brian, you busy tomorrow? I'm like, nope. He goes, all right, I just booked you a job. So it happens like that sometimes too, which is really crazy. Literally word of mouth. And again, you want to be the guy who's fast and shows up on time, is a good guy, blah, 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 because it really helps you. How people think of you really helps you in this business, in this world. And now being that you voice act in anime and video games, what are the main differences between the two from an in-booth perspective? Mm -hmm. So video games traditionally are going to pay more money. That's straight out the bat. And you're also going to record one day, two day. I did do a five day video game record not too long ago, which was crazy. I was exhausted. But typically it's one or two days, long hours, but then you're done until you come back for say second or third game. And a series obviously can go on for a couple years. The video games, do you play video games? I play a few. It's funny because I've never owned a gaming system, which is weird because I've recorded so many video games and I've never owned a gaming system. But depending on the kind of video game, and they've changed over the years, you'll do like the story section. And then you'll do the sections where you're talking to the player like, hey, pick up this sword or follow me or you know, don't go that way, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to the part when you have to do all the fighting efforts and the damage efforts and the pain efforts and the killing efforts and the dying efforts. And that's the part that kills you. So you're doing like a heavy dying effort and you have to do that three times. Then a medium dying effort three times. The soft dying effort. Screams, the call out, sword of terror. And it just goes on forever. And so you rarely have that kind of voice workout in a series. Sometimes, but not every time you go. But pretty much every time you go to do a video game, you know you're going to have to do that kind of like really, really heavy screaming stuff at the end. But you're getting paid more. So it's kind of like a trade-off. And uh, you have been a veteran actor in TV and film, as well as voice acting for anime and video games. What advice do you have for people who want to get in the industry in any of these fields? And I started doing plays, obviously, and that's really helpful. Studying, watching movies, doing theater. For me, I did so much musical stuff, too. You know, I was in Les Miserables, the second national tour of that. So also, too, for even for voice acting, I think being musical is going to help you. So learn how to play music, learn how to play an instrument, or study singing. It's going to help your ear, stuff like that. And the other thing is, with the internet now, and YouTube, and all this stuff, there are opportunities to be a part of projects that are going on. There's a great site where you can meet other creators. You have to look that up. It might be called Stage 12 or Stage 42. But even on Craigslist, so you're in a town and you want to act in a movie or you want to be a part of production, there's tons of things going on on Craigslist that you can look for or you can go 
to your local community college or state college and work there. I tell voiceover people that want to get started in the voiceover world, they should offer to volunteer their services for student films. A lot of student films need voiceovers, dubbing, and you do that for free or for a nominal cost and you can get the experience and stuff like that. And lastly, my biggest recommendation to people, and I say this a lot, is that you need to let people know what it is you want. So no one's going to give you a hand or help you out or give you advice or offer you an opportunity if they don't know that that's what you want. So you have to make your desire and your wishes known. I think that's the smartest thing that anyone can do. And then just study and practice and that's it. And then finally, do you have anything you'd like to promote? A website, Twitter, Facebook, anime that you're in, or TV shows that are coming out, or conventions that you're going to be at? People can always come and say hello to me at Twitter, at Brian Beacock. And also, I've got my zombie comedy TV series that I'm actually pitching right now with some producers over at Henson Studios. But they can see that online right now. It's called Acting Dead. It's about actors that kill themselves so they can get jobs as zombies in shows like The Walking Dead and Warm Bodies and Shaun of the Dead. It's really funny. And that's www.actingdead.com. And I am on currently, I'm on Dorara, which I think you can see on Netflix and Crunchyroll. I'm in the third season of Violetta, which is a Disney live action show on Netflix. And I believe, I'm not sure, but I think Doraemon is still going to be on Disney XD. And the feature film of that, uh, Stand By Me Doraemon, should be coming out either in the theaters or on television sometime this year. And for conventions in June, I will be at PortCon, Maine. And what's your website again? My website is actingdead.com. People can also go to brianbeacock.com and then they can come see me at Twitter at Brian Beacock. I just want to say before we go, everybody, that thank you for listening to this week's podcast. And as always, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and a bunch of other places where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can check out my website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, wrestling, and pop culture, as well as you can follow us on Twitter at popanimecomics for all updates regarding this podcast, as well as the website. And I hope to see you as a subscriber following me on this podcast, checking me out on Twitter, reading my website. Until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.